The Jungle Podcast. Yo, 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 what's good? I'm... And I'm... We're here to deliver to you the news. We're here to tell you what's real. We're here to hook you up with the IV full of information. We are here to give you smooth vibes and keep it informational. Or not smooth vibes or keeping it not informational because who cares, you know? That's true. We don't really care very much. <laughs> yeah. When's the last time you've cared about something, man? <laughs> so, that, that, so that sounds like I set you up for failure. Like, fuck you. When have you ever cared about You know, because I, I, I never have. I'm actually a massive narcissist. I don't, we're on tape, aren't we? Of course we're on tape. Like, okay, what was the intro for, dude? Yeah, like, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I had this really odd paper today. Yeah, tell me about it. We're both college students, by the way. Yeah. So, I had this paper today, or, and we had to do an interview on, it was that Honduran, it was this Honduran woman I had to interview, because she's yeah. from another culture, and so, she was talking about Honduras, and, God, it's like, really bad right now in Honduras. Dude, it's bad in, like, all of South America, like, I the whole know. ass continent, dude. It's really unfortunate. So, their former president, Juan Orlando uh, Hernandez, was extra. Why do you know this guy's name? Because I've had to do research <laughs> on him. Oh, really? Because I had to do research on him for this interview after she mentioned him because I was really curious about it from yeah, my yeah. paper. Dude, a former president got extradited for drug trafficking and firearm <laughs> trafficking, bro. Yeah, man. You know, uh, honestly, like, I know this is super insensitive, but, like, I don't know, South America kind of just reminds me of the, like, damn, this is crazy, you know, like, anything could happen. God. <laughs> you know, like, mystical realism, you know, it's just wild. I just, as an American, I feel a lot of guilt about South America. For fucking what, dude? Because we have meddled in so but much. But it's not we, you know? Well, like, when I say guilt, I mean more so empathy for the fact that, wow, we have meddled, or not we, but the federal government has meddled in so much of their affairs. I mean, yeah. It's like, how dare they elect democratically a socialist? Damn, uh... Like, how dare they? You want to talk about a lighter topic, bro? <laughs> okay, fine, fine. All right, we'll, we'll go lighter. No, 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 but I do agree with your sentiment. I've been to Panama recently, actually. Um, mm -hmm. In the past few months, I'm going to go back in a few weeks. Um, and, dude, I mean, it's crazy because I think people take a lot of things for granted. You know, like the ability to, like, walk around during daytime and feel safe. Oh, or, I know. you know, like... Um, you know, the ability to not be discriminated against in a job interview. You know, like, human rights only exist when they're able to exist. Right. When people are able to, like, you know, pass on a potential extra utility created by, I guess... Well, actually, I don't want to say that, you know, utility is created by harming human rights, right? But, like, I, I think that, like... Uh, Doesn't utility structure our human rights? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does, actually. Yeah, I think the need for human rights is inherently the thing that structures our human rights. 
Yeah. The cultural. Never mind what I was saying. Not I was, yeah. But um, this girl, uh, she's twenty one. Um, she expressed like a genuine fear that yeah, you had to worry about getting shot. Dude, I tell you, last time I went to Venezuela, man, like a cop just like took our luggage, dude. Well, and was in, straight like, hey, we're taking your luggage. You can't do anything about right. it. The thing, though, is like I talk about this as like a complete disconnect. But I know there are communities in the United States where that's a real thing. Where the worry about yeah. getting shot is substantial. Yeah, but I mean, I think that shifts. Like, I think that's like more of a socioeconomic thing. Whereas yeah. in a lot of Latin America, that's a... It affects all socioeconomic classes. Yeah. Unless you're like, you know higher ranking person the military or politician even then like you know it's kind of crazy to think people like get assassinated like in, in today's day and age right like, like when was the last time the president got assassinated kennedy dude no 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 but like what blows me away even more is like you look at monkeys and like monkeys will take stones and kill other monkeys in their sleep like for power exchanges mm-hmm. like that shit happens with human beings you right. know, you still see, like, the overgrown monkey kind of pattern, and that still happens in some places. It's, it's kind of what's scary about going into power, you know what I mean? Because I feel like as a human being, I have, like, a weird urge to let go of power, which is odd, right? Because I know a lot of people seem to claim it, but I think for me, I don't really want to claim power. I kind of want to disconnect from power. Like, I have this urge to really not have power does that make sense at all i mean no but i think maybe it's exiting the structure where power is evaluated yeah i'm just scared of the fact that i have to have control over people to be considered successful well i'm not sure the degree to which that's true i think as time progresses and you know, like, I think it's becoming more acceptable in professional environments to, like, have a more diversified set of things you do, mm-hmm. right? So I am so I think it's looking less like, as we go forward into the future, less like a company owns a person and more like the a company, company is paying for its the person's services. See, so you're, you, if you're workers' cooperatives? Ah, uh, no. Oh, yeah. So, workers' cooperatives are essentially businesses that are owned by the workers in an equal footing. So, uh, you know the cranberry juice brand? Uh, crap, what is its name? The one everyone... The one everyone knows. I I know the one you're talking about. They're a workers' co-op. And so, every farmer has equal say in voting power inside the company, which is not... which is, like, not the common practice in the United States. That's interesting. And it's really profitable. Well, I mean, you know, again, I wonder how that would translate. Well, actually, again, like, again, as if I said nothing to begin with. Um, I wonder how that would translate to other industries, though. It. I don't know if it would be as translatable. Like, I don't understand how a movie would work at all in that way. Like, a movie production or... Um, Really, anything creative, I'm kind of like, okay, how would that actually work? Um, but when it comes to industrial or your very, very basic human needs, your core fundamentals, I could see this applying very well to te- 
tele companies, you know what I mean? Like your cell cell phone providers and your road constructions is a private industry. I mean, it, a lot of things that are public are really private. It's just sponsored by the public, right? right? So I feel like this could translate in a lot of services where they are allowed to have a natural monopoly. I feel like it could work in that way. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I do disagree. You disagree? You know, yeah, I actually, recently, I've been uh, kind of emphasizing the value that people in managerial positions create. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, you know, the more popular opinion for people who talk about this kind of stuff is, you know, oh, managers don't directly produce value. You know, the amount of value they produce is really overstated. Why somebody in an office... Um, who has flexible hours making so much more than somebody who's actually generating the value themselves. But, um, no, I mean, I've just been looking at, like, outcomes associated with people who have, like, business education. Like, and also, as technology gets advanced and as... Because I I feel like a lot of countries still don't have, you know, um, certain infrastructure, um... So I feel like application of pre-existing technologies is going to be a big thing moving forward. You know, yeah. but like in places that already have those pre-existing technologies, development of, you know, more niche technologies that require more like technical knowledge. I feel like there's going to be a bigger necessity for people in managerial positions who have oh. that technical knowledge. Like the average person like and it's like you see this with abortion legislation the average person does not know all the medical stuff needed to know to make an informed decision on abortion legislation like let's be real like you need to have medical education to make an informed decision yeah you know so the thing is though is i think there's a little bit of mistranslation though not mistranslation but kind of like a miscommunication here about what it fundamentally means when it comes to managerial positions versus uh, a cooperative. A managerial position does work in a worker's cooperative in specific cases. And I mean, you can have a manager saying, okay, this is the decision that we're thinking. Here, your, here is what affects your personal conditions if we make this decision. They say, okay, this is how it affects us. It, no... It's impossible to have a completely democratically run anything. There's always going to be someone who's making decisions. However, I do think workers' cooperatives are a good step in the right direction to say, okay, we need to center a little less power away from profit earner more back into the actual value producers. Does that make sense? Right. The managerial position is just the between those two. So, in actually a lot of marks... Um, there is proletariat and bourgeoisie. Well, in some cases, I don't know if it was Marx that writ, writ, wrote this or other Marxist philosophers, but they mentioned a petite bourgeois class, which are essentially your white-collar workers and your managerial positions. Right. People like my parents, for example, are petite bourgeois, where they don't necessarily have an own in the company, but they do have very much direct consequences when it comes to when profit goes down, what happens to their position. Like, if CEO, if the profit goes down four years at a time, the CEO's fired. Right, so we're talking, like, upper-middle management. Right. But those people still have a value, valuable place in any kind of RAM company without there being a profit motive at the 
top of it. Does that make sense? Right, I, I understand. And also, so, I think a workers' co-op creates like a pressure on executive decisions to have outcomes that are more beneficial towards, you know, the general population of the workers' right. co-op. Right. So it's less so about necessarily getting rid of managerial positions. It's more so taking away the value from that is generated away from one singular individual and into different individuals who have a say in those decisions. Right. Well, I mean, I would argue that it's not usually a singular individual. Like, once we get, like, to medium-sized businesses and up, like, we're talking, like, board of investors, you know, etc. Well, sure, fine. Or we'll board s- of directors and, you know, investors from all over the world and stuff. In what is what is that limit though to when that's a fundamentally bad thing to have for a society how convoluted is it supposed to get when it comes to production of human goods and resources does that make sense yeah what is that line of okay is it actually socially acceptable to have a board of directors making decisions about the conditions of a worker that is generating value does that make sense should that board of directors have a say when their livelihoods are not directly impacted by the changes that they make. I think so, actually. Um, Because, like, again, there's a huge difference between Mm. talking about, like, the organization of farming and the decisions that the co-op makes, and then when you're talking about, you know, a company that designs payment processing systems and has 15,000 employees. Like, Mm. those situations are so incredibly different I don't think you can really find a fundamental rule to unite both of them. No, I'm not. I'm not looking for a fundamental rule, but I I do think pushing for more cooperatives. I don't know. It's a band aid solution. It's it's not a band aid solution, but a um, it's a small step in the direction. Right. It is not universal. You know what I mean. I'm not saying that workers' cooperatives should be in every single industry. However, the existence of said industry sometimes does have a moral debate around it. Does that make sense? Right. Am I saying just jargon or am I actually saying something that's funny? No, 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 no. Like, I understand you. It's just that I'm not very informed on the topic. Right. So I would have to read a little bit more about it before, like, making a bold claim. Or, like, you know, uh, the South America stuff. Like, honestly, I feel weird talking about the South America stuff when I'm not as educated as I should be to talk about it with confidence. Yeah, I do think, though, that's kind of hard, though, because both of us are youth, you know? How educated are we about fundamentally anything? Right. How educated is anyone about anything? Right. I, I think we can have these discussions without saying our word is not gospel. When I have an opinion, my word, my word is not gospel. And right. I do think that is a fundamental problem with a... I don't want to say Generation Z because I feel like I don't, I one thing I've learned in academic settings is not to use hyperbole as much. Uh, I have noticed a fundamental mindset though in some individuals in our generation, where people take opinions as word of gospel from people, in that some people just say stuff, you know. Yeah. In that a lot of it's very surface level, you know what I mean. I don't know. I'm, it's not a critique on cancel culture or anything at all. Like I don't. I don't really have a commentary on that. I just do think though that sometimes people can't be wrong about stuff. Does that make sense? No, no, no. I agree with you actually, and I think there's a huge difference between recitation of opinion versus being able to construct the same opinion starting from a definition and following the same rules of logic. Right. So, like for me, when I'm talking currently. I'm speaking somewhat from a database of what I already know, 
and the new information that I'm generating and inferences that I'm making over time, yeah. right? However, if someone was to prevent, uh, provide me new information about this topic that completely destroyed my argument, I'll take it, figure out if it's actually a genuine good retort, and then either change my opinion or keep my opinion and debate against that retort being wrong, right? right? However, it seems like fundamentally people are now using opinions as a testament of one's character, which they can be, but not in all cases. Sometimes people just are saying something with a very small database of actual information they can take from. Does right. that make sense? I feel like with with abortion, like you mentioned earlier, I do think that's partly it. I do think people, when talking, especially in the pro-life movement, I'm going to give the, those people the benefit of the doubt in this case and say that there are people who just are not fundamentally, who are dealing with, not a fundamentally, but are dealing with a very small database of what they actually have thought about when it comes to perception of life. Does that make sense? Right. That, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I agree with the, what they're saying. However, I don't want to say you're a bad person because I'm not one to judge who's a bad person, who's not a bad right, person. Right. And I'm not t- speaking of that from like an Abrahamic religion sense. I just have my own vices. I'm ignorant about some stuff. I have been fundamentally wrong about things that I was so confident I was right in. And I have been through so many phases of both politics and religion and spirituality. I have no interest in condemning anyone. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, man, little change of topic. What do you think about gas station food? Valid. Valid? Valid. Totally valid. I think hot dogs are f- fucking disgusting. I will take that shit to my grave. I know... Your I'm, American citizenship is going to be <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I feel like it's revoked, but <laughs> I think no hot dogs... You're no longer allowed at a baseball game. Hot dogs are disgusting to me. It's not even that I don't necessarily dislike the taste, but I never crave a hot dog. Right. There are some foods I still crave. Like, I don't even particularly like pasta that much, but I still find myself craving spaghetti sometimes. I have no craving for a hot dog, ever. Well, I, I mean, craving for spaghetti? Like, what is her gas station spaghetti now? No, but I'm just saying hot dogs are horrible. Because <laughs> if there is, hot me on that, Bruh, man. Gas station uh, spaghetti. Gas station pizza and donuts are good. Have you ever had a gas station donut? I have, and I dislike them. Really? Yeah, because they're too sweet, so it's oversaturated. So that enters your mouth, and there's like way too much sugar per cubic inch in the yeah, donut. So I... it immediately like goes through your mouth. It just completely fills all available space in your mouth and soul. I mean, it's awful. Honestly, I kind of get that. Because, so have you heard of creme brulee? Dude, I love creme brulee. Dude, a creme brulee will fuck me up. Really? Oh, yeah, man. Do you lo- So you like it a lot? Of course, man. So, Man, if you don't like creme brulees, don't talk to no, me. No, I like, like creme brulees. Get off the podcast. I'll stop recording, okay. dude. No, fuck no, you. no. I like creme brulees. <laughs> okay, good. I like creme brulees. That's the... But the one problem, the one singular problem with creme brulee is that sometimes I feel that way about... So, you know, with creme brulee, you have to have the torch. You have to yeah. torch it. I mean, not necessarily. You could pour a high-proof alcohol on it and then light it on fire. Really? Yeah. Well, there's still, like, a process of lighting it on fire, right? In the hardening at the top? Yeah. So sometimes... I mean, I suppose if you had an industrial heat gun on hand. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But you get my point about the yeah, hardening, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That piece of hardness is just straight up 
sugar, right? Right. So sometimes if, like, when I have creme brulee, if it's not made to, like, this very specific way of making it, I feel like I only taste the sugar hard shell. I feel like that's what happens with creme brulees. I, th- I think you may have been plagued by a series of bad creme brulee experiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for your bad creme brulee experiences. My mom makes great creme brulee. It's just the last time I had it, it was like... I don't know, dude. Am I siding with your mom? I don't know if I'm going to side with your mom okay. about this. Because, like, look, the thing is, when you burn the sugar, when you so when it caramelizes and it burns, you get a very, like you know, pungent, burning smell and taste. It needs to be, like, at a perfect, you know, where it does provide, like, a surface, but it also is soft enough to flow with the sugar when it cracks completely and is way too hard. I think my mom made it too rich, I think. Does that make sense? Like, too thick of a sugar layer. Yeah, I think it was just too thick. Or... Maybe I had too much. I think partly was the size. She made, I think creme brulee, it's supposed to be something that you eat in small portions, right? I think I had too big of a portion. And I think I just got overwhelmed with the sugar and that's all I remember. So you're saying your mom's making this at home and you're talking about big portions. I'm imagining like a creme brulee that's like filling up a frying pan. Okay, well this was like, okay. Oh wait, are we, for real? (laughs) She would make creme brulee. I wouldn't have this big. Okay, so for the listeners... Imagine, like... Dude, homie's holding a bowl the size of his head. This is dangerous, guys. <laughs> I wasn't eating the entire creme brulee. But I feel like, in reality, you only have to have, like, a scoop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Maybe two. But after that, it loses its thing. But, no, I'm talking about, like, she made, like, souffle bowls of creme brulee. Right. Which, you know, souffle bowls are... They're cubes, but not cubes. They're cylinders, right? They're very, very dense. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pretend to like... No, no, don't you know. pretend these. It makes no sense. Okay. So when you have a bowl, look at the architecture of this bowl. Okay? Right. So a souffle bowl, there's no curve on the inside besides the very, very bottom. Right? For a okay. souffle bowl, it's just a cylinder, bro. So a lot yeah, more cylindrical stuff... cylindrical prism. Yes. Yes. So a lot more stuff is able to fill a souffle bowl than this bowl. Right. Right? It's very thick. So there's a lot of creme brulee in a souffle bowl. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Listeners, does this make sense? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that they can respond. They can't respond right now, but maybe they'll respond right now. Okay. Nah, man, but, you know, I think also this ties into, like, what a dessert is supposed to be. Like, for me, I can't do very large desserts because it's just too much sweet things, you know? Or, as we were talking about with a donut, like, you know, desserts that are just way too oversaturated with sugar, I can't do, right? Um, I think desserts should... I mean, I, I suppose desserts can be pleasing to eat, but I also think that they should be a little bit more particular, like a particular taste, you know? Yeah. Can I possibly go off topic for a second? Of course you can. There's no topic that's off topic, except so, two topics. Um, I just 
got a uh, email from my professor. Uh, will remain nameless, and the course will somewhat remain nameless. But um, we just got a twelve-hour warning that we have to present a project that we were never informed we had to present. She didn't send the email out till just now at two a.m. for the day of that we have to prepare and present. Right. Without putting it in the syllabus that we have to. But present are we talking topic. like PowerPoint or just presentation from the class? Presentation from the class. However, we still have to sort of be maintaining like an organized like stuff. You know what I mean? There's still a sort of amount of mental preparation that you have to go kind of go through. Because with the essays, we haven't read each other's like complete essays. We've only we we've read through them, but not like serious practice reading. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like a a two a.m. warning where most people are asleep is really bad practice. I mean, maybe two. It's supposed to be a surprise thing. Like, hey, you're not caught up on your readings. Well, you're screwed. Well, this was so the project was that um. We have well, okay. First off, it's twenty-three pages of text that we that we have to present. Right. Um, I don't. There's thirteen groups. How are we supposed to do twenty-three pages of text in any kind of meaningful time to get through the presentations for today? We are. We already are behind. According I mean, to I'm sure it's going to be fine. I, I, I mean, know it's fine. It's just unprofessional. It's I mean, really unprofessional. I don't know. Oh, I'm pouring myself water, by the way. Yeah. Um, but man. I don't know, because on one hand, like, yeah, it is kind of uh, unprofessional. On the other hand, you know, I feel that your professor is probably overworked and underpaid, you know? Maybe. It just feels really unsurprising. Wow, this is some good water, man. Like, this water entered my mouth. I was like, wow, this is some good water. Water hits. Yeah. You know what's crazy, man? Uh, I learned this in my uh, Chem 2 class. Actually, I did this in my lab class, too. Water doesn't conduct electricity by itself. Um, it's the electrolytes in water that conducts electricity. So if you take distilled water mm -hmm. and... You know, I, I assume, you know, there's an electric current flowing into the water. The electric current will not flow to your body, given another path of less resistance, of course, um, I think. But, like, like water doesn't conduct electricity yeah, by itself. It's not, the, it's not the hydrogen, it's not the H2O, it's the electrolytes, right? Yeah. yeah. Is, is electrolytes always in water? I mean, effectively, yeah. I mean, there's no way for you to get your water without any sort of, like, electrolytes when your pipes are made out of metal. You know, when you have, uh, you know, the smallest amount of impurities, etc. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I never thought about that, because I always, I always picture, like, um, it, it was kind of a meme at my high school that I'm now realizing is dark humor that is way too dark um but you know uh taking a toaster bath was a meme in my high school so i like i always think like 
if somebody tried to commit suicide with a toaster and a bathtub of completely chemically pure water and assuming that you know your body's oils and stuff didn't secrete and spread throughout the water somehow like you would not be electrocuted right you know that's so weird sorry also i'm sorry that i'm not um sorry that i'm a little distracted it's so one thing about college is that i kind of feel like i'm always on call you know yeah does that make sense i feel like that's true for the academic environment in general yeah i just feel like i'm always on call and i don't understand how it just seems like i would feel like i should be respected enough as a human being not to get an email at 2am about a 12-hour warning for a new step of a stage of a project that was never informed beforehand that we had the stage of a project. Right. Does that make sense? I just feel like as a human being paying tuition at an institution that I should at least get the basic respect of, okay, after business hours are closed, I should not be getting more stuff. Well, I mean, I also would argue that, you know, you recognizing that you're not on work hours should not be obligated to look at that until work hours yeah you know so like realistically um you're not obligated to respond to that in any way shape or form and you really don't make, have to worry about it, it would make my life miserable if i didn't at least have a plan does that make sense i mean yeah but i feel like that's kind of a self-imposed yeah, thing i guess with everything i don't know sorry i know that's weird <laughs> no just... no no you're fine it was just really jarring seeing that like after having really no preparation for preparing for this when it's like that wasn't in the goal at all it's just really frustrating um have you ever had like you were a wrestler right uh briefly yeah for how long you remember um several months were you uh did you ever do water cuts no um and that was actually something that um, our school and coach and actually I think that the AAU did a really good job of uh, preventing mm -hmm. you know uh, previously if you talk to people who wrestled in high school you know you'll often hear things like oh yeah you know I think I stunted my growth by cutting weight um, or you know they'll talk about how they remember like doing extreme dieting and stuff stuff that really you know uh, controls things that fall within a margin of error right. it doesn't you know, uh, the degree to which it matters is very debatable. But, um, you know, uh, nowadays, because of so many concerns about mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you actually are not allowed to um, exceed a certain amount of weight limits beyond your original weight limit. So, like, if you, for whatever reason, gained so much weight, you went up, you know, three weight categories, like, that would be a problem. I forget how many weight categories it is, but there's a certain time limit to a change associated with the weight category to prevent people from artificially putting themselves down a weight category. Wow. Yeah. No, no. I mean, they do a really great job of enforcing this. They do weigh-ins, um, you know, so you strip down and you get weighed. Mm -hmm. I do... This is really funny, actually. <laughs> I remember a particular instance. It was uh, with this... Uh, actually, I, I won't name him. Um, but uh, there was this guy... Uh, I'll call him Mike, you know. Mike. Uh, really funny guy, more of a goofy guy. You know, he would, like, try tackling your legs instead of doing the proper, like, wrestling, taking down technique. 
um, instead of like shooting properly. Um, but you know, fun, nice guy. And, uh, he was exactly at the weight limit, like 0.00 for his weight category, <laughs> dude. Amazing. And he was unable, like he would not be able to participate if he like was above that. So the whole entire time, everyone was dogging on him. Don't drink water. Don't breathe. Dude, do you got to take a shit? Because you got to take a shit right now. Like, <laughs> people were dogging Bro. him. They get as much, like, material out of his body as possible, dude. And at weigh-ins, like, uh, it wasn't point zero zero at weigh-ins. It was a little bit below because he sweat in the meantime and he didn't drink any water. Um... Jesus. But, you know, it, he brutal. was, he was, so he was actually an instance of like, um, you know, a specific short term instance of something like that. Like he was spitting a lot to get rid of that water weight, right. um, etc. It With wrestling, have you ever had like a really hard practice? And dude, wrestling, in my water. opinion, is the most intense sport you can them, yeah. do um, so, in high school. Do you like remember like the sips of water? between your workouts yeah like after your workouts dude i it's crazy how like the value of water gets so it's so subjective on how your body's status is you know like your hydration level it's like whenever you're not active water's just kind of like oh i could use some but it's really no big deal and then when you're active it's like a switch where you're just like oh my god i need water and you quench my thirst and you my bio biological needs are needing this thing and then two hours later you won't care about it anymore right and it's just and that's just how everything is in your brain you know everything's silical it's incredible right we're all just cycles of stuff right who are people who are not in at least a little bit of a cycle no one no one's not in a cycle that's incredible, right? Right, right. You want to hear something crazy? Um, I actually created a presentation on this a while ago on hormesis. Um, and so uh, this goes hand-in-hand hand with uh, dose-response uh, curves and stuff. But it's crazy because a lot of the things that are good for you mm-hmm. are good for you because they're bad for you. Yeah, and then like so, bacteria. Right, right, right. But not not in the same way as certain bacteria. like like... Um, for instance, uh, kind of like how a small amount of poison will cause your body to build a resistance to that poison. Or a virus with vaccines. Right, right, right. Right. But like um, using the example of poison, a low dose of the poison will cause your body to build a resistance, whereas a high dose will like harm your body. And uh, hormesis describes a trend on like a dose response curve on how, you know, you know, something can have opposite effects based off of this dosage and right. you know where that switch happens so uh hormesis has a lot to do with you know uh like fruits for instance right mm-hmm. uh people uh had something to do with like oxidative stress and free radical stuff i don't understand <laughs> you know right um but like apparently like your body like strengthens itself in a way uh after consuming fruit because it activates like certain reactions to prepare for something bad to prevent it that's interesting right and then going further like the principles of hormesis can not just be applied to drugs but they can be applied to like sociology they can be applied to other things where you see kind of this curve 
uh-huh. and then looking at that tipping point where it goes from one effect to the other effect. It's like a bell curve. Yeah, yeah, I- exactly. It's like a like, curve, like yeah. a bell curve, but just not standard distribution. You ever think about how a lot of things are a bell curve? Yeah. Like, socially, too? Everything is a bell curve? Yeah, that's the whole point of the bell curve, bro. I know, but it's just crazy how, like, everything's bell curve. Yeah. It's like how, like, uh, politically, it's all a bell curve, you know? Well, I mean, I disagree about that. Oh, well, I just, it sometimes it just feels like everything's a bell curve. And I'm, and I'm literally on, like, politically speaking, I'm, like, on the side of the crazy people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, like, a weird, like, right-wing conspiracy nut, but I don't know. That's interesting. Everything's a bell curve. Yeah. Hmm. I think this is a natural conclusion to the podcast. Do you think so? How do you feel? Um, I was about to write a note to you, actually, about uh, the time of the podcast. So far, we seem to have 36 minutes and 50 seconds of recording. Um... I'm feeling this is pretty good. I'm I'm feeling content with this podcast. Yeah. It's also like, you know, 2.11 a.m. right now. <laughs> You're really responsible so, college students, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, weariness is starting to get to us. Well, welcome to the Jungle Podcast. Welcome to the Jungle Podcast. I look forward to continuing with you, Cameron, and I look forward to continuing with you, our audience. I wish all of you to have a great day or night, whatever time you're listening in, or a great hour if you don't believe in those concepts. A great of day time and night. shift. A great time shift. A great unit of time. A universe shift, bro. What? There are probably universes where time is not an applicable concept. Yeah. So you, we have to get it out to the diverse ranges of people that exist in our system of relationships. Dude, I uh, read somewhere <laughs> because mosquitoes, no seriously, or like because flies <laughs> uh, have like an accelerated metabolism and everything about them is like, you know, they live and die in a span of days. Like the, you know, um, I, I, I can't point to any of the scientists behind it or the journalists or anything. I just read this article uh-huh. and it was positing that flies actually experience time in slow motion. Ooh, that's interesting. Because all their individual biological things that are perceivable to the fly are like faster, you know? Right. There's actually a theory that, um, there's something in anthropology called the superior wharf hypothesis. And it's, there's a stronger form and the weaker form of the hypothesis. But essentially the stronger form states that language structures our perception. And there are some tribes that do not have words outside of black and white for color. And there's like a theory, the stronger form of the theory basically says that people cannot perceive those other colors because their language does not tell them that they have a color right. outside of black and white. Yet... Obviously, like, in the physical world, they can perceive it, but there's, like, a weird cultural, like, okay, can they actually... It doesn't conceptually exist. Right. And, dude, like, um, uh, there's this tribe in the Amazon, actually, and their language, it's uh, crazy because every time you describe an object, the conjugation of that word depends on how the object was perceived. So, like, by being raised in that language, you're automatically an empiricist. Because objects fundamentally must be conjugated 
according to how it was observed. Or how does the application of gender work for, like, languages that are gendered? You know what I mean? Right, or, like, the gender words by animism, like, animate, inanimate. Right, it's... It's incredible. Language is incredible. Wild concept. Wild concept. Wild concept. Wild concept. (laughs) Okay, well... Welcome to the Jungle Podcast. I feel like this is a good conclusion. How are you feeling today, Andrew? Good podcast? Yeah, good conclusion number two, man. (laughs) Remember, guys, time is relative and it's all fake. Have a good night, good day, and remember, good universe. time is subjective. It's not fake. It is an awful universe. I will see all of you later. Yin and yang. Special thanks to ZadSplat.com providing us with a lot of the noises we've been using in this podcast why don't you check them out they got some cool stuff